music, 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 technology, music, technology, music, music, technology, teacher, 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 Hello everyone and welcome to the Mutech Teacher Talk Podcast. This podcast is a part of MutechTeacherNet.com, a website dedicated to advocating, supporting, and inspiring creativity in teachers and students through music technology. I'm your host and founder of Mutech TeacherNet, Heath Jones. I teach music technology courses at McCollum Middle School in Gwinnett County, Georgia. My guest for this episode of Mutech Teacher Talk is Dr. Adam Patrick Bell. He is an assistant professor of music education in the School of Creative and Performing Arts at the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. His current courses include Music and Popular Culture, Popular Music Pedagogy, and Introduction to Music Technology. His primary areas of research are DIY or do-it-yourself music making and learning in-home project studio recording, music software and instrument designs impact on learning, and how music technology can impact learning in students with disabilities. In addition to numerous articles written for professional and educational journals, he has shared his research and presented professional learning sessions around the globe. He also serves on the editorial boards of the Journal of Music, Technology and Education, as well as Visions of Research in Music Education. He writes in the preference of his book, Dawn of the Doll, the dividing line between the traditional roles of musicians and recording professionals has eroded inadvertently inaugurating a new music education paradigm. Dawn of the Doll illuminates the centrality and criticality of digital recording techniques in the learning and music making processes of do-it-yourselfers. It is my pleasure to welcome him to this episode of Mutech Teacher Talk to discuss his book Dawn of the Doll and the rapidly growing field of music technology education. Dr. Bell, welcome. I'd like to begin just by asking if you could tell me a little more about yourself and your background, how you got interested in music, technology, and eventually in music education. Sure. Well, once upon a time, I was a school music teacher. I taught kindergarten. I taught elementary music. And my music experience before that is a little interesting because I, I was a high school music dropout. It didn't, didn't really work for me. Uh, and Nothing against the teachers or anything. I just it just wasn't for me at that time. So I kind of got interested in music a little later, sort of toward the end of college. And, and I took some music tech courses and stuff, and that got me really excited. So yeah, I taught music in schools for a few years and, and realized that I, I missed sort of the research component of, of my schooling. A big part of my background, and, and I've kind of circ- come full circle now, is focusing on disability in music. And I was quite interested in applications of music technology for people with disabilities. And that's kind of a lot of the work I do now, but that's how I started out actually as a researcher. Um, I've always done, in quotes, popular music. And with it comes, I think, a need for music technology chops, right? Like if you want to make popular music, oftentimes you need to be able to use certain technologies. And so that's, I learned all that stuff um, mostly on my own. I did take some classes and certainly later on in my studies, I took more formal training in audio. But so much of what I I learned was was self-taught. That's really interesting. I wasn't aware of the work that you had done with uh, students with disabilities, but 
it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that's been especially rewarding for me in my classroom um, is the broad range of students that I have. The majority of them are general population students, but I also have students who may speak very little English who, or who have physical, behavioral, or learning challenges. And they can be just as active and successful as any other student in the classroom. As a matter of fact, just a few years ago, I had taken a video uh, in my classroom and was scanned the room with the camera and later showed it to a colleague of mine and told him, I said, you're looking at students who are high academic achievers. Uh, there's one student here who speaks very little English. Uh, I have a student in the back who has a, uh, behavioral interventions and this is the only class that they're in with uh, general population students during the day and actually had a student who uh, through adaptive uh, technology uh, with a physical disability was able to manipulate the computer and as I scanned the room and they were looking at the video I told them I said you know look at the video and, and see if you can tell me which student is which and they couldn't and I think that's one of the great things about technology and music technology is that a student might not be able to hold a trumpet or a violin or uh, function in that type of classroom but in a music technology classroom the technology really levels that playing field so that all students no matter what their challenges uh, might be or what challenges they may need to be given uh, the technology really makes it very flexible um, and it makes it accessible for all students to participate in a music class. In my experience over the last few years since I've been teaching music technology and speaking with music teachers about starting music technology programs, probably the most common question that I get is, what exactly are you teaching them? Or if I'm going to be teaching this class, what is it that the students are supposed to be learning? How would you help someone answer that question? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a, a question a lot of people are asking in a very genuine way. I think when you know GarageBand first proliferated in classrooms, we saw a lot of people doing similar kinds of projects and they're great projects, there's nothing against it. But what I found in talking to teachers is they felt like, well, you know, we did this loop-based composition and now we don't know what to do next. Like what, what else can we do? And I feel like we're kind of past that first step now. We're kind of growing up a little bit as a field, maybe inter-adolescence or something like that. So this is certainly a question I ask myself too. And what I've been focusing a lot on is trying to design more open-ended projects, uh, sort of like a choose your own adventure type mentality. So that at the end of the day, we're learning similar technological skills. Uh, they might differ somewhat, but if anyone's concerned about covering certain curricular things, like those things would still be covered. But on the other side, like what we're actually really focusing on is, as you said, is the creativity. So if we pose to a student, say, and it's, uh, you know, a music making, composition, songwriting, whatever you want to call it, type assignment, say like, well, what is it you really want to make? Like who, who are you listening to? that uh, really inspires you or is there a style or genre that you really like that you like want to participate in make something like that let's start there and let's listen let's identify some exemplars of music that you really like 
and let's work backwards and figure out what are the things they're using and how how do they do it but let's not just be people that copy something um, but let's also innovate and so what can we do differently so much of what's neat about music is hybridization right like borrowing ideas from this style that's how we hear it all the time in contemporary popular music uh Lil Nas X is a great example of that this kind of country trap idea so I, I push my students to think in those ways and if, if they do that I think they'll really engage with the technology in a creative way I there you know there's lots of people out there saying things like you know you start with the music and the technology follows and there certainly is truth to that however I would also say that there are plenty of students I've met who just really like technology uh, they're excited by a computer they're excited by a processor and giving them time to like turn knobs whether they're physical or virtual is really engaging for them and it still gets them into the creative mindset so Although I push sort of a music first approach, I don't think everyone thinks that way and works that way. So it's kind of going back to what I was saying about being really open-ended about these projects. And I have an example project that I often tell people about, and I think I'll spare you it for the moment, but I've written about it, it's out in a new book, and I have like a blog post on it, and I've shared this project with other people. And it's based on The Song Machine, which is a book by John Seabrook, talking about how contemporary popular music is made. And what I try to do is take what he wrote about and make it into a project. And what I find from my students is that they're all over the place. So on one hand, I have a student who English is his second language and he's a really talented rapper in Mandarin. So he's making like Mandarin hip hop. And then I have someone who is like reorchestrating a Bach piece that she really likes. So, you know, it's all over the place, but they're using the same stuff and they understand the same concepts, the same principles, like they still have chops, which is what I'm trying to encourage them to use. And my hope is, I think probably like any teacher is like, well, when the class ends, I hope they keep doing these things. You know, I hope that they, we've sparked some kind of, of uh, fire to keep doing creative work. I think that's a great point and what a great outcome for learning. You know, one of the things that is so difficult for people who are attempting to start a music technology program especially if they come from a traditional college or university music ed program, is being able to change how we think about and approach teaching music. I think that many teachers think about teaching as a transfer of information from a teacher to a student, and that's easier to do when you focus on the concrete rather than the abstract. So if you're teaching a band or orchestra class, for example, you spend a lot of time teaching very concrete concepts about how to manipulate the instrument, playing position, embouchure, articulation, and so forth. Even in teaching the theory of music, I think we focus on more concrete concepts such as key signatures, scales, tonality, etc. I think the result of that background in a music technology class is that teachers tend to focus on manipulating the technology or equipment instead of focusing on the much more abstract concepts of creating sounds or music. You state this in your book when you write, the field of music education has to transition to perceiving recording as merely a noun towards perceiving recording as a verb. And I think that isn't such an easy thing to do. Some have described uh, it as formal versus informal music learning. And for too long, I think that traditional or classically trained musicians, which is the, tra the tradition that our music education degrees came from, have kind of looked down their noses, so to speak, at that type of music making. 
But I do believe that it's time to recognize that experiencing and creating music in this way is a very legitimate and artistic form of music learning and expression. When it comes to learning styles, part two of your book, Made in Brooklyn, is very interesting as you document your experience following four different people and their very individual processes of creating music with technology. And more broadly, you describe two categories of the creative process as do it yourself versus do it with others. Tell me more about what you learned from observing these people and how these creative styles might be fostered in a classroom setting. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of get the umbrella term of do it yourself, which most people are familiar with, like DIY, to hear that, you know what that means. And, you know, we've had a big maker movement in the past, you know, five to 10 years, which has brought that back a bit. Um, but some people, you know, those those terms, so do it with others and do it alone come come from other people labeling it. Um, and I just sort of recognize what people are doing. So do it alone is I, I actually both terms, I would say, are just very literal. So like you're actually just doing everything by yourself. And I think the more interesting one is do it with others, which falls under the umbrella of, of the DIY approach, but that you lean on other people. And yeah, and so in the second part of the book, when I profile all these different people producing their own music, you, you see these two models. So two people that do it totally on their own uh, for various reasons. And then a couple of other people, and I've seen a lot more of this as I talk to more people about how they produce music is they take it to a point where they feel they can't go further and then they hand it off to someone else and they, you know, they collaborate or they help out or, you know, they outsource some aspect of their music production. So what's interesting about that is that's going back to like John Seabrook's book on the song machine. And if you look at like, there's like an article recently about, contemporary pop music at least like almost everything is done collaboratively now like it's pretty rare that someone just writes a song by themselves and it, you know produces it and gets it out there kind of thing so when you think about what we do in schools if we're trying to model real world practices you know i would try to get students familiar uh with kind of what's going on out there and how things work now i work with college students and a lot of them I would find initially at least really struggle with the concept of having to be part of a group that's going to write a song together. Um, a lot of them sort of resist this idea. They just want to work by themselves, do their own thing. And so I, I say, okay, sure. If that's what we really want to do, that's fine. But it's important that you know that the way that things work, at least right now is people that usually work with other people. And I'll tell you a lot of the students that take me up on that challenge, at the end of the semester, they're saying, you know what, you're right. I think my music was actually better because I collaborated with someone else. So it's still, you know, all these things in the name of sort of self-sufficiency, um, but, you know, you lean on each other and you try to draw on each other's strengths. And it's it can be really fun. Like the classroom you were describing, I have classrooms like that too, where I might have some music majors, but I might also have students that are, you know, studying math or biology, like who knows, but they're there because they wanted to come and, and learn about music technology. And we go around the room and talk about, you know, the strengths we feel that we have or things that we want to work on. And we can really complement each other. Um, so it's, it can be nice to kind of create a little community in that class or how many ever weeks or months we have together to, to work on these projects. So 
I, that's what I really push. It's not easy um, from a teaching perspective. Assessment's really tricky um, with group work and, and things like that and sort of sussing out who did what and how to give appropriate credit. Um, but I, I do think it's very authentic. This is the messiness of the real world in the music industry, you know? Uh, you look at like the credits for a Beyonce song or something, it's like a huge list of people. So, you know, it's it's challenging, but it it's reflective of the real world. And that's why I, I really try to encourage it. Um, and more to your question about like in schools, I think, I think you can try it out. I don't know. I think often schools are a little more constricted by curricula, you know, uh, whether it's mandated by a school board or state or, you know, in Canada, our government, our provincial governments, because we're provinces instead of states, they control the curriculum documents. So it's kind of at that level. So it just sort of th those things. I'm unconscious of these sort of real world uh, restrictions that teachers have on them. Like, well, can I actually do these kinds of projects if it doesn't really work with the the mandate of the school board? So, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that that I found, and certainly, you know, the students that I get don't necessarily choose to be in the class. A lot of times they should okay. walk in the door and go, so what is this music technology thing? And a friend of mine that when I was early on in teaching this, I'll never forget, he said, you know, you have to be ready to embrace the chaos. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't have a point of reference from doing this in school, but um, yeah, I think they do appreciate it. And it's funny, like, I, you know, we're talking about technology. We live in a time where like my students come into the lab and they all just look at their phones and don't talk to each other. And, you know, for me, that's weird, but for them, it's not. And, um, you know, it's just kind of how things are. And it's nice for me to see them kind of interact with each other and just really focus on music for a period, you know, and like no distractions. They're just like really focused and, you know, they get into that kind of like Zen flow state where they're just like having fun and they're like, oh, class is over, you know? I mean, that's like a great feeling as a, as a teacher when the time flies because people are really invested in learning. You know, it's, it's almost sounds corny, but it's true. Um, if you can create projects and you can create a context in your classroom where, you know, the students are really buying into this um, way of, of, of making music and they're really invested in it, you know, I think that's like my end goal. Um, and I talked to them about that as well, because what you're talking about, embrace the chaos, you know, I might lift that term. I, I say similar things. Um, and it, that can be a little uncomfortable uh, for, for students coming from a context that's sort of more uh, strict, more formal. Um, you know, there, there can be an uncomfortableness to um, things being sort of more free form. And I think as a teacher, you need to look out for that. I, I certainly have had students that need more structure. They need more guidance. And so a big part of my job in the classroom is, is checking in with everyone, you know, and, and doing taps on the shoulder and saying, hey, how's it going? Like, what questions do you have? Because I find that a lot of students, they won't ask questions. They'll, they'll, they'll sit there and get frustrated. Um, so they actually need, like, you as the teacher to, like, take that step and say, how can I help you? Now, I get that it would be different for, for younger students. Um, and it's also cultural too. Like I used to teach in New Jersey where students were much more um, outgoing. You know, here where I'm in Canada, students are more reserved, more cautious about asking questions. So the, the context of where you teach, I think changes it somewhat too. Because when I taught in New Jersey, it would be hands in the air the whole time. Like people just waiting for me to come and answer the question. But I think 
you know, regardless of that, I just really do think it's on the teacher to like really check in and know where they're at. And that, you know, that's, that's an important aspect of assessment, right? Just kind of like constant check-ins and, and seeing how people are doing. And that sort of dictates what you teach next, you know, as you're trying to like move them along. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, um, I think the beautiful things about the technology is that, you know, if you have, you know, I have, you know, all my students are at their different workstations a lot, a lot of the time. So, but if I have a student that's like, oh yeah, I got this, then they can, then I go, okay, well go press some more buttons, go, you know, try some things out. Whereas if a student needs to take a little more time, you know, you really can personalize learning is a big catchphrase in education around here. And that's one of the great things about the music tech class I find is that you really can, that's probably the closest I've ever been to really personalizing learning from student to student in a classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. So I found the same. Music, 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 technology, music, technology, music, technology. This is the first part of my conversation with Dr. Adam Patrick Bell. We will continue the conversation in the next episode of Mutech Teacher Talk. If you're interested in learning more about Dr. Bell and his work, I would encourage you to visit his website at www dot adam patrick bell dot com if you've enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about it in addition to the podcast and www.utechteachernet.com website i also have a blog at www.utechteachernetblog.com and the new Tech Teacher Net channel on YouTube that you can subscribe to. And if that isn't enough, you can also stay in touch with us on Facebook at New Tech Teacher Net and on Twitter at Twitter handle at New Tech Teacher Net. Please like and share and always feel free to leave some comments and let us know how we are doing or what you would like to learn more about. Advocate, support, inspire, create the music technology teacher network. Teacher network, music technology teacher network, music technology teacher network, music tech teacher network.